My life is lived a quarter mile at a time, and that quarter mile was spent driving to the local Hollywood video and back to my house. Hello, Internet, and welcome to the A to Z Horror Cast. This is the Creative Latino Podcast, brought to you by us over at AtoZHorror.com. I'm Jack, and sitting across from me is Jake. You may be a superhero, but you're not invincible, Jack. <laughs> and sitting next to Jake is someone else who's at least uh, 21. It's Mark. Hello. For those of you unfamiliar with our Cracker Jack operation, we watch and review one horror movie a week, and then we get drunk and argue about it. This week, we watched 2010's Insidious, uh, which was a Jack pick, and we will dive all the way into that real soon, and when we do, fair warning, we're going to spoil the absolute shit out of it. Jack, please. Uh, it's it's called yes, Insidious. Insidious. I'm sorry. Sorry for the mispronunciation Thank right you. off the top. Thank you. I'll try to be more professional moving forward. Uh, but hey, like I have been the last few weeks, uh, I'm not going to tell you to go to our Patreon and contribute to the show. While we do appreciate that, there are better places to be throwing your money right now. We've been linking to Feeding America. They're doing great work in these trying times. Um, literally offering people eggs, I assume. Uh, <laughs> so do that. Uh, but hey, for now, let's do our own little brand of escapism and talk some horror. So on that score, let's do beers for fears. Hey, Mark. Yes, that's me. What are your beers for the 2010 movie Insidious for those fears? Well, keeping it local, which has been our theme recently in the last three or four episodes, I'm drinking an epic brewing Chasing Ghosts IPA. Uh, this is one of their hazies. This is actually a double, so woohoo. Um, pretty self-explanatory there. This is a movie about chasing ghosts. They chase a lot of fucking ghosts. Yeah, you know, I thought immediately of Epic's chasing ghosts, and I wanted to get it, but I'm on that local life too, so I didn't end up doing that. I went with a local brewery here, uh, the Lost Grove Brewery here in Boise. Did a curbside pickup of some first sight. Look at India you, Pale Ale. Uh, this is a movie about a bunch of people experiencing a kind of sight for the first time, or their first time in remembered. Uh, history, and so it's just a whole bunch of different first sites. Uh, Jake, how about you? What are your beers for these beers? Yeah, it's kind of, when we're sticking local, this becomes a hard movie to beer this time, is what I realized. <laughs> a little bit, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Chasing Ghosts is perfect, so yeah, that is fuck lo- you, Mark. Thank you for getting that on the record. In Salt Lake. <laughs> I mean, people should be picking a little bit differently how we do right now. Um, I went with a Boise Brewing beer. It's their Red Velvet Cream Ale. Honestly, like this one really boils down to one ghost. It's more of a demon, and it's the man with fire in his face. He's also shockingly pedophilic, so Red Velvet sounds like a name he'd go by in his little pedophile den there. Red Velvet. That dude definitely has some Red Velvet cake on like an ottoman somewhere. Yeah. Oh, for sure. He just felt like a Red Velvet to me. For the record, that character is credited as the Lipstick Demon. Mm, Okay. Okay. Yeah, Red velvet so. lipstick. Yeah. Um, either way, you know, decent job all around. I think we we were gonna. I, Mark, no, no shit. I was like, oh god damn it, epic brewing legs chasing ghosts. Yeah. Um. So I'm glad you at least came to that. I would have zinged you hard if you hadn't. If it makes you feel any bit. So I was thinking about this. I was trying to make it work with the stuff I had in my fridge. Um. I ended up deciding that this was the way to go, and I stood in line at the liquor store for about 25 minutes today, so that I could get it, come home, pop it in the freezer before we recorded. So Jesus. nice. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I ordered mine on the internet, and then a very friendly woman passed it to me across two tables stacked together, and I waited zero time. Yep, that's probably the better maneuver. <laughs> Not the better beer, but the better maneuver. That's a pretty good beer, Mark. First sight is pretty tasty when they have the lines all cleaned out. 
Okay. Deep inside <laughs> joke. As long as you don't get that stanky shit. Well, look, it's, it's, it's things possibly have happened before. But hey, <laughs> drinking beer and watching Insidious isn't the only thing we did over the course of the last week. We might have also experienced some other shit in the horror world, including paying up on Lost Beers for Fears bets. Our patrons at every level get to vote on who lost Beers for Fears and what movie they have to watch as penance. So let's uh, cue that sound effect and get into some Lost uh, Beers for Fears. Mmm, beer. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber, you go and do something like this. What an idiot! You suck, you jackass! All right, either of you guys got anything to pay up for? I do. I do. Oh. Pick on me, teacher. Yes, sir. I have yes, Mark. Cult of yes, Chucky. Mark. <clears throat> uh, so Jake weighed okay, in on this yeah. one. We tied for whatever the fuck it was uh, a little bit ago. Cult of Chucky 2016. Is on Netflix. Actually, the new Child's Play is also on Netflix. I haven't watched it yet, but apparently that one's better. Um, I don't have much additional to to put on this one uh, from Jake's analysis two weeks ago, except for that this was exactly the movie that I was expecting it to be. <laughs> like, it's yeah. it's a blockbuster level B movie. It has the effects and skill behind it of like a well made movie, but it's campy and Chucky. You know what I mean? Yes. All true. Yep. Um, <laughs> I, I got to say, one of the things that did surprise me was in the first two minutes of the movie or so, um, something happens that I thought was actually a pretty interesting aspect of the entire franchise. I don't know. I, I don't know why the character who does this, and it's, uh, basically it's it's the thing in the safe, for those of you who have seen it. I don't know why you would ever take that thing out of the safe. That seems like a really fucking bad decision. <laughs> Anyways, that happens in the first three or four or five minutes of the movie. That was the only thing that really stuck with me about it. But I had fun watching it. I don't know if I would ever go back and watch it again. No. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty fun movie. Yeah, I mean, I'm not upset about The Lost Bet. Is what it's I'll say. dumb entertainment, whatever. I, it's a good one to have on in the background. Yeah, exactly. But to that end, if you're going to have one of these on in the background, either have it be probably the original Child's Play or the new remake. I sure. still haven't seen the remake. I'll probably get to that in one of the next few weeks. So have it be the one you haven't seen yet? That's your recommendation? Well, and also just don't jump in to the f- fourth, fifth movie in the I don't know. The, the middle's a good place to start, Mark. I was sort of... I, I was lost a little. I was lost more than I thought I was going to be jumping into a middle of the franchise chucky movie there that, there's more plot there than i was just like uh, okay <laughs> who are it's all a of deep these characters well, mark child's play has a deep well deep well yeah that's true well there's there is a lot of canon information to the plot of child's play mark they've done a lot of movies and a lot of them are canon and i understand that now i was playing with fire and i got burned That'll happen. That'll happen. Jake, how about you? Any lost beers for fears to pay up on? No, I don't think I have any for once. Ooh, very I nice. I owe any. I, nice. I, I, I've made the very bold proclamation that I will be watching Lawnmower Man. I'm holding myself to that. I didn't get to it this week. Didn't Ooh, happen. I, Fair enough. When you get to that, I, I do expect you to get to that. There's actually kind of an interesting like legal history there that we're going to need to get into that I learned okay. about. Okay. I'm very interested. Should oh, it's I fascinating. keep myself in the dark on this? Will I know what it is just by watching you won't, the movie? You, no, 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 no. You won't have any idea what it is when you watch it. I want your like organic take on the movie, and then 
I assume we'll hand it off to Jack and he'll give us the whole thing. Okay. That I'll tell fine. you all about it. Yeah, that sounds fine. <laughs> I know that I owe, I now owe one. A poll ended. I lost Baskin and I went back and reviewed the beers for fears choices. I That was a warranted loss. So uh, I don't know what I'm going to have to watch, though. Something. It's not, it's not closed yet. Right now it's a dead heat between the gate and Hellfest. Okay, that's fine. Interesting. Fair enough. I got one to pay up for here that I watched. This is a, one's a little bit older. I lost for Repulsion, that Roman Polanski joint uh, that we watched some time ago. So I think, Mark, the theme on uh, movies was just other old movies. Something like that. Yeah. I'm not yeah. that creative a person. I don't know why you put me in charge <laughs> of this shit. Um, and anyway, I watched uh, Les Yeux Sans Visage, or The Eyes Without a Face, if you're translating it literally. However, I learned that when this was released in America, it was released under the title The Horror Chamber of Dr. Faustus. What? And I don't know why it is going by any other name at any point ever, because that's an amazing title. <laughs> Much better than The Eyes Without a Face. Um, in any case, I'd rent this one on Amazon. And guys, this movie fucking rules. Really? Okay. Oh my god, yes. Holy shit. So kind of like broad strokesy, this is a mad scientist kind of a guy. He's a very well-respected doctor, and his whole thing is transferring skin or pieces from someone to someone else. And uh, the, the conceit of the movie is that his daughter's face was horribly disfigured, and so he is luring young women to his doctor lair and cutting their faces off and putting them on his daughter. Um, throughout most of the movie, his daughter wears this porcelain mask that I can't imagine how they made. It's like perfectly fitted to her face and it's fucking terrifying and amazing. Perfectly smooth porcelain mask while she's just creeping around at this house because nobody knows she's alive. Um, it's fantastic. Really, really creepy. There's a lot more gore than I was expecting there to be. It's all in black and white, but still, like, they get more detailed into removing a young woman's face than I was expecting them to. Um, it becomes like is... a surgical PSA. <laughs> now we're going to I, no, peel back the epidermis. It doesn't, but holy shit, there is a lot of close-ups on old-timey surgical masks, which it turns out look exactly like the homemade like COVID masks that the CDC is telling everyone to wear now. So that was a little bit jarring, that everyone's just wearing those a lot of the time. That was Just bandanas? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean the homemade ones. Uh, okay. But there's uh, this movie also features some decent dog acting. And, uh, guys, this is just like a moody as hell movie, and I kind of loved it. I will say it opened on a sour note for me because it opens on some real old-timey like carnival music that gave it a real Killer Clowns from Outer Space vibe. Uh, but it quickly, the soundtrack quickly gets a lot better from there. Are you sure it was Killer Clowns from Outer Space and not something like uh, whatever that one we watched in Salt Lake City was a while ago where the lady was the, the piano player, the organ player, something like that? <laughs> that you no, I mean, no, this this is a much more carnival-y vibe than that one. Yeah. Um, and it, it really is reminiscent of the Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Obviously, it's 25 years before that or whatever, but uh, either way, really rocking movie. Wasn't expected to have as good a time as I had with it. I will note the whole thing's in French. Um, so that is a bit of a barrier to entry if you don't like reading or don't know French. Is it set um, in France? Yes. Oh. All yeah, right. It's a French movie. Yeah, it's, it's why it's Les Dieux Sans Visage. It's a French movie. Yeah, Mark. Um, either way, that's that's the only one I think I have to pay up on for the moment, and certainly all I've watched. So well, let's uh, cue <laughs> Scatman. Scatman's World. All right, on to regular rocking horror worlds, boys. I've only got one here, and it's a revisit for me. You literally uh, just uh, said that the only thing you watched was Eyes Without... Les Enfants et Visage. 
Nailed it, but yes. no, I didn't. I said I haven't watched anything else, even if I had to pay up for something, was what I meant that sentence to mean. That was still very confusing. You, <laughs> you have way, ruined this one. I revisited The Ritual. Uh, nice. Oh, man. I, was this as good? I hope it was. I really want to go back and watch this again. Better. Oh this is God. creeping up my list of all-time best horror movies, honestly. I think so. Like, I kind of agree with you. I've only seen it the one time, and it was fucking, like- it's still one of those ones where I just go back and think of like, oh man, fucking the ritual was really goddamn good. I loved it. Oh my god, so much fun on the second viewing. I liked it a lot in the first viewing. I watched this one like midnight. Wife had gone to bed. Just me and the dogs watched this. Oh, great! It was so fucking good. People getting fucked with in sort of the woods. Man, it was great. It's the woods? Why would you not call it the woods? It's, it's very uh, the definitively woods. the woods. Uh, because when they start getting fucked with, they're in like a high mountain range with no the, real the lap land. <laughs> when they start yeah, getting exactly. fucked with, they're actually in a convenience store, I think you'll find. That's, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, that's beside the point. <laughs> all time. Either way. I mean, I guess uh, if your list includes all the movies and ranks them, yes. Well, what I mean is like it's it's never merited consideration in that in that thought before for me, but it's definitely like, I fucking loved it on this repeat viewing. Yeah. I want to revisit it again very it's soon. Good. It's it's a fucking great movie. Holy shit. It's available on Netflix for anyone unfamiliar with it. Go watch it. It's a, like we said, people getting fucked with in the woods movie. It's a Swedish movie, but it is set. It is uh, filmed in English. So there's no subtitles, no dubbing, nothing like that. When you and say it's, it's a Swedish uh, movie, you just mean it's, it's set British, in Sweden, right? It's British. Is it British? Oh, okay. Well, they're, I mean, they're, they're British. Dude, they're British. Men, they're got, they're from England. They go on a backpacking trip in Sweden. Okay, yeah, that checks out. Um, <laughs> yes. And it's very, uh, it's what the the uh, the ostensible villain here is some very uh, Nordic folklore shit, which Jack, is really cool. Yes. Jack, it's actually a South African film, but it stars a bunch of British people, and it's set in Sweden. I see. Okay, and it was released in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> yep, there you go. <laughs> came out at TIFF. Either way, that's the only one I have to talk about this week, but holy shit, if you haven't seen that yet, do it. It's on Netflix. Watch it. The Ritual. Mark, what about you? Oh, damn. I got two bangers. Uh, Jake, do you want to go first? Why? Because you think I don't have any bangers, Mark? Is that what you, you think? Have, that what you're let me just, let me just, let's, just let's just have like an honest, freewheeling conversation. Hey, Jake. Do you have any bangers? Mark really <laughs> wants to go last, so I'll let him have this one. I watched a movie that must think it's a banger because I had to pay seven bucks to rent it on Amazon Prime. Seven bones, huh? I leaned into Ooh. the let's watch a movie about being quarantined, and I checked out the new one, Vivarium, Ooh. with Imogen okay. Poots and Jesse Eisenberg. That one, the one that has like the. Do you remember the trailer for this just a few months ago, you guys? They're, yeah, they get trapped sold in on suburbia. This, yeah, suburbia. Not until thing. you said Jesse Eisenberg. It, it looks like a cross between Dr. Seuss and M.C. Escher. Like, very interesting, striking visual style from the trailer, and they just ostensibly are left there. It seems like it's going to be a Twilight Zone episode, right? Yeah, totally. Um, I was pretty disappointed with this movie. Oh, it, it doesn't go anywhere, man. Like, it goes nowhere. Where are you going? Nowhere. I, just I, like the stars of the film, huh? Oh, uh, yeah, true. I mean, if that's what they're going for is to make you feel that as the viewer, then I guess they succeeded. It just it felt like there was so much potential when you put them in the environment that they're in to like really dive into what that's like and have them trying some different and new things. And it doesn't do that at all. Like what ends up happening? I'm not going to spoil anything, obviously, but one of the primary characters spends pretty much the entire movie in one particular location like that's it 
like nothing outside of it. It's crazy. And on top of that, I wasn't expecting this at all, but this movie is really dependent on kid acting, and that's not what I was going for feeling, apparently, when I went to watch this movie. I wasn't (laughs) expecting it. It hit me. It hit me in the wrong way. Didn't want to listen to the kid. Had to listen to a lot of the kid, like a lot. Uh, It's just, honestly, whatever. Don't recommend it. Definitely for seven bucks. It was striking visually for about 10 minutes, and then they totally abandoned that, too. Like, whatever. Fuck this. Flash forward to, like, I don't know, 10 years from now when Jake has a kid and the kid's just getting on his nerves and he's like, you know what, son? This is not a convincing performance. <laughs> yeah, Mark, that sounds right. I, th- You know, if the kid's annoying me, I'm going to consider it to not be a good performance. <laughs> it's all acting. It's a do bad better, take from Jake's child. kid. It's going to be a bad yeah. take. Bad take, do better. Thaddeus, <laughs> take you what? Don't recommend, don't recommend it. Let's move on. Okay. Okay, see, wasn't that good that we couched that like right in the middle? That'd be a that would have been a sour note to go out. It on. sure would have. Okay. And notably, Jake did not have two bangers. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was a banger. <laughs> no, you you expressly didn't. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think it was a banger. You just said don't watch it. No, don't watch it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Mark, let's hear about your bangers. <laughs> okay. First off, Beelzebuth. 2017, this is a Shutter exclusive. Jack, you recommended this to me as my movie to watch for the year. Yeah, this movie is nutso. <laughs> this movie is nutso. Um, okay, let me preface all of this with saying that, yes, overall, this is a good movie, and I kind of tenuously recommend it as well, but <laughs> damn, this is a tough hang. Holy shit, act one of this movie is... So fucking hard it, to it watch. It like opens with one of the worst scenes I've ever seen, and then you let your guard down a little, and there's a second worst scene you've ever seen, like fifteen minutes in. <laughs> and then there's like three more of those. <laughs> what oh do you my mean? God. Hold on. Time out. Time out. Time out. Time out. What do you mean? Oh well, that would be giving it away. No. Jake. What do you, you mean? Probably... Worst scene though. Define worst. Oh, like like in terms of just you having to watch it, the concepts that are being portrayed on the screen, squirm factor. Like, it's not as bad as the scene from Gerald's game where you, like, are physically compulsed to cover your face with your hands and not watch it, but it's close to that. And I don't mean in content, I mean in physiological reaction. Okay, interesting. It's not yeah. like it's not like an individual gory scene in particular that's causing you to cringe. And in fact, the movie itself is very much not gory. Yeah. Uh, I, look... It's a good one. I think it. I think the the best moments it has are front loaded, uh, and it does get to a conclusion. And I'm, I, I am recognizing more and more that like, look, you got to get your script to an ending. You have to like make some choices and funnel people into decisions and stuff. But I'm also realizing that I don't frequently agree with most of those <laughs> decisions. Mark, now, um, part of the reason I recommended this to you was because it is a possession movie, but it's like. One of the more unique possession movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Absolutely. And in, actually, in that way, it was actually kind of an interesting companion piece for Insidious that we'll be reviewing here in a little bit. Uh, this also stars, so the the only face I recognized was Tobin Bell. Uh, Jigsaw is in it as this uh, pretty interesting character, actually. That dude makes a very convincing hobo. He sure does. <laughs> uh, look, I said it already. Go in recognizing that this isn't one to watch with your family. 
but I think this was a pretty good recommend from the Jackster. Thank you, Mark. Omnibus. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. I enjoyed that. It's on Shutter. I think I already said that, but just to remind everybody, that's BL's booth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, one other thing about this, actually, it's shot intentionally as a bilingual movie. So the protagonist of the movie is a, uh, I guess, it, he he's a Mexican detective who's having to then host a forensic detective from the United States. So most of the dialogue is actually in Spanish. Uh, but then they also have random scenes that are f- in English or like broken English. It's yeah. really Which cool. I just thought was, yeah, it, it's an interesting like bilingual movie because usually it's just sort of like they subtitle some shit, they don't subtitle some shit, whatever. Like this is a script that is written to be in both languages. And, yeah, and it cool. really adds to like the, you feel at home in the movie kind of because of it. But you also feel sort of alienated in the in the right way because it's like as they're introducing the American detective, they're like this fucking gringo, and you're <laughs> yeah. like, "Hey, that's me." Yeah. They're describing me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's I. Yeah, I mean, it's a weird one, but I think it's a good movie. Okay, this is uh, a higher recommend for me. My next movie, which is saying something. Uh, the other thing I think is funny about this is I'm going to say the name, and neither of you guys are going to remember what this movie was. Oh, almost guaranteed. I watched. I watched. I see you. Christ, no. <laughs> uh, what if what if I told you this was the Helen Hunt movie? Oh. Okay, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this was this was this came out in December of twenty nineteen. And as I understand it, top- it's just a series of Mad About You episodes put back to back, but without <laughs> all the credits and the interstitial stuff removed. So it's like a theatrical Mad About You experience. Yeah. Uh it's not that. <laughs> But it is it's this close, sort of Jack. like, honestly, if you're going to watch a movie that has as close to the same vibe as The Outsider, I would recommend this one. Oh, interesting. It's not The Outsider, and it is not as supernatural as we anticipated it being based on the trailer. What it is, is this like very intense, almost like whodunit detective thriller thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. I thought it was incredibly phenomenal. I enjoyed it immensely, but side note, for those of you who have seen it and are yelling at your radios right now, I, I radios. assume you're listening to this on like an radios. FM radio somehow. <laughs> radios. Um, you know, I was thinking this, about this the other day. You could probably buy an AM call station for pretty cheap these days and just broadcast our show 24-7 on it. So, listener, if you want to do that. Let's look into that. Let's to. look. I'm going to look into that. <laughs> um. This has some of the most preposterously large plot holes and like poor decision making in any movie I have ever witnessed. Oh, I, I want to review this movie with you guys just so we can talk about it because it is Wha- the the in the the how good the movie is as a whole and how bad the script is as a whole are so far apart. Uh, how is that possible? <laughs> how does that work? Yes, how does that work? I I mean. If you're willing to just go on the ride and not really question decisions, then I think this is a really well put together, tight piece of oh. machinery. Oh. But there's also certain elements of of the like narrative that have to happen the way they do that don't really make any sense. <laughs> cool. <laughs> you can like go out of your way to explain them, but there's some substantial just like what the fuckery happening in the middle of this film. So, I don't know, if you're someone who gets hung up on the decisions that the actors make and whatever, not not the, like, performative decisions, but the, I guess, the decisions the characters make in the movie, then you probably won't like this one as much. But this one had some moments in it that I thought were, like, actually pretty stupendous. 
So that was ICU. I know you can rent it. I got it in on a DVD in the mail. DVD, not Blu-ray. That's the level of distribution that this movie's getting. But um, whatever. I recommend it. I thought it was pretty good. It was certainly unique. It's different from the, a lot of the movies we've watched in the last six months or so. Okay. <laughs> well, I like it. And uh, on that note, it's got to be time to go to the feature presentation. Yeah, there's no more bangers. Over at EasyHorror.com this week, we watched 2010's Insidious. Now, I picked this movie. Have either of you boys seen this movie before? And I certainly hope so. Yes. Yeah, Mark, I know you've seen it before because you watched, I think you've seen every Insidious movie, I think. Uh, that is correct. Yeah, I <laughs> recently put the last key under my belt. That was in maybe October, September, something like oh that last year. Oh my god! I think it was oh in like god. April of last year. But either way, uh, Insidious so you- one, two, three, pretty good. Insidious last key, fucking bad. <laughs> <laughs> either way, we'll maybe talk about that. Mark's, Jake, Mark's the expert here. Yeah, on he Insidious, is. Then had you seen this, Jake? Of course, yeah. I think I, I let's put it at one and a half times. Is that okay? Yeah, I think that's about where I'm at too. I I saw this in theaters for the first time. Yeah, I did not. I had a full. I had like a full sit down, like pay attention to it experience, and then an experience that I was I don't know probably compromised for. I think I might have so. been with you on that second one because I have the exact yeah. same situation. Okay, Com- sweet. Compromised because you were studying so hard for an exam. It precisely. Yeah, yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. Midterms, Mark. It definitely hey, wasn't the yeah. quarter keg of beer Jake and I each drank because everybody else left the party and we wanted to keep playing beer pong. No. Jack, I think you'll find that that's exactly what I meant by you studying for an exam. <laughs> hey, I figured out its effects on the body, Mark. I was a biochemistry major. It's important. Yeah. Exactly. You're proving my point. You're agreeing with me. <laughs> I am. Using way too many words. Mark, did you see this in theaters? I did not. I look. I, this is a general theme for my life. I did not see it in theaters. I've seen I don't know two dozen movies in theaters in total. The, my life is lived a quarter mile at a time, and that quarter <laughs> mile was spent driving to the local Hollywood Video and back to my house. This came out in 2010, <laughs> and in this case, it would have been driving to the local Red Box at Smith's and then turning around and driving back. There you go. There you go. All right, boys. Uh, I picked this movie. I think primarily because I heard our buddies over on the Nightmare Junkhead podcast talking about it on their Into the Mouth into the mouth of March Madness. I got it right. I just corrected myself before I even realized I got it right. Um, into the March of Mouth Madness. <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought oh I said. Oh, God, I'm never going to be able to say it right. <laughs> I didn't think I was, and then I did. Um, either way, again. that's why I picked it. Like they, This is on their 2010 bracket. And it- no, I guess maybe I'll bleep that out. Uh, but either way, go check out their oh, podcast. Whatever. They talk about it. Is but uh, and they got me thinking about this movie, and it occurred to me it had been a long time since I seen it. It's certainly we've never talked about it, and this is an all time like this is one of the modern classic horror movies. You know, James Wan, Blumhouse, Lee One L. This is this is one of those. Uh, so two things. One, good pick. I agree with you. Thank you. Uh, two. I'm a little offended that you left Oren Pelly off that list because at the time that this came out, he was the fucking name on this thing. Okay, yeah. now for people who might be unfamiliar with that name, Mark. <laughs> Paranormal Activity. Yeah, he, he has like two things under... <laughs> if you go, I was like, what the fuck happened to that guy? And I went back and looked at his, at his IMDb and it's like insidious. He, it was Paranormal Activity 2007, 
Paranormal Activity 2, which came out in like 2000, late 2008, 2009, something like that, whatever. And then Insidious, Paranormal Activity 3, Insidious 2, Insidious 3, Paranormal Activity 4. And then he just stuck with that. He stuck with that franchise. He has like, he has like one other original thing under his belt. Was he, I, he a, probably has more than that. Was he those are a lot like of money. two bangers. Was he just a producer on this? Like, what was his role in this movie? I think it was just production, but I mean, like, he clearly is the guy who has the. He's not. He's not credited as the director or the writer, so I assume that's how he's associated. Yeah, but I, I mean, whatever. He's clearly the guy who has like the the eye for how to haunt a house. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, he's definitely he's definitely got that eye. And this is also one that like, oh god, we'll talk about this. But I got to do a thirty second plot synopsis. I won't even do my joke, so you guys can put thirty seconds on the goddamn clock. Do it, Jack. Thirty seconds are on the goddamn clock. It's gonna start when you start. Rose Byrne and Patrick Wilson are parents to two boys and an infant daughter. Uh, their oldest boy goes up into the attic when they move into a new house, and then uh, he passes out into a coma for three months, and uh, nobody knows how to wake him up, and creepy paranormal stuff starts happening. They bring in a psychic. Turns out Patrick Wilson was uh, an astral projectionist when he was a kid, and his son is too. He has to go out into the realm of astral projection to find his son, who is lost out there, and demons are trying to take his body. They fight the demons. They come back, uh, but turns out a, a a ghost possessed Patrick Time. Wilson. Time. So, one quick note. Okay. Not an astral projectionist. He's an astral projectioneer. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Uh, second quick note. You didn't really quite put the cap on the film that is the cliffhanger into Insidious Chapter 2. <laughs> if you want to <laughs> correct sort of yourself. No, there. I did. He, he's he's possessed sort of by sorry. a ghost, it turns out. That's how it ends. And then she blows out the candle at the end of the credits. All right. There you go. I was not listening. I was looking at the time. So <laughs> cool. I, I'm glad you had a couple I of notes. I was judging by the fact that you had like one second to get all of that out. <laughs> I just assumed it didn't happen. No, it happened. He kind of just said like old woman possession, uh, but it worked. It turns Which out he was actually possessed. Sort I, of, I, I ended think, with it turns out he was possessed. <laughs> I, think, I think you'll find that if you were to pull up the script of this movie, that's probably almost verbatim what it says. <laughs> old woman possession, ma! <laughs> fucking shit if you pull up the script. Okay, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's talk about what in the fuck subgenres of horror this fits into, except possession, because I'm taking that one. Haunted house? Yeah, even though they expressly say the house isn't haunted, the boy's it's haunted. Not. This is a haunted house movie. <laughs> Should I add haunted boy? No. <laughs> <laughs> Haunting. Even though that's boy. also what paranormal activity is, right? Not not haunted house, it's, but haunted it's, girl. Yeah, it's haunted house. It's the Orin Pelly genre. Sub sub genre. No, not really. But it's the human though. <laughs> But here's the thing. Here's the interesting thing about that. I think there's a fan theory to be had here that the house itself was in fact haunted to begin with, but then that was then it was sort of just like the the that was the locale that allowed Dalton to become haunted. It makes sense. It's also what makes sense as to why they go back there in the further. Exactly my point. Yeah. Yeah. Righto. Why why there's the red door in the attic? Yeah. I don't know that that's necessarily a yeah, Okay, fine. Yeah, it is a th- fan theory, you're right, cuz they don't go out of their way to explain it. And fan I theory. They don't do that in in uh movies that happen after Insidious cuz I haven't seen any of them. <laughs> really? You haven't even seen 2? So nope. Jake Jake, so you know. No desire to. No two, desire to. 2 see is two. a direct sequel, like immediately following care. 1. 3 and okay. 4 are pre- God. All right. Uh yes. Although you might need to bleep a little bit of that because I'm pretty sure that's like the twist giveaway of three. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think just it matters much for the just actual. Bleep it. I'll bleep it because it's funny. 
<laughs> just <I'll, laughs> just two straight minutes of bleep. I'll bleep it like this week in unnecessary censorship. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, what Jack said. Yeah, nailed it. Fucking, uh, it's also what supernatural, um, ghost. Um, that's about it. It at the time that it came out, did this still count as independent? I mean, now both every every name involved is an absolute fucking superstar. I don't know what did Blumhouse. What was the state of Blumhouse in 2010? Not not wild, but I mean, I think Chelsea Stardust was working there in 2010, so like pretty big. What? I think. I mean, like, what had they put out at that point in time? I guess is the question you have to ask. Yeah, uh, and they'd already done. They'd already done. Like, this is multiple years after Paranormal Activity. So, like, I feel like. No, I don't feel like this is independent. I don't know. And I mean, okay. a, a budget I of what? I hate that. I hate that label anyway. So I'll, I'll yeah. take it back. A budget of one point six or seven million dollars or something like not a huge budget, but pretty big. Well, that's yeah, that's their model though too. Is like let's make something for like target million tops, and then we're gonna make fucking I don't know whatever well, they make. This one's this one a hundred or something. Yeah, this one's also interesting because it's James Wan saying this would like this movie was made because James Wan said I made Saw. People know me for Saw. I want to prove I can direct a good movie that isn't like that people don't Dead associate silence? with that gore. Even though Saw, as oh, we've talked about before, is not that gory. Like it's just a good movie. No. but people associated yeah. with that. And James Wan said, like, I need to prove to studios and producers that like I can direct just a good quality m- movie that isn't gory. And so here's a PG thirteen movie. This sure. is like. A incredible confluence of talent from the late twenties, late two thousands, early twenty tens horror scenes. You have Oren Pelly, who has since waned. You have Blumhouse. You have James Wan. You have Lee Winnell, who both wrote and stars in not stars, but like Specs. as a as a role in that. Those are four fucking massive names. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, this was a big movie when it came out. <clears throat> yeah, well, and it deserved to be. Let's get into what the movie does right, because we're just we're saying all of these things without actually being in the correct segment. So yeah. we're there now, yeah. Uh, the haunted house aspects. This movie is at its best when it's doing the things that go bump in the night shit, and it does it better than 99% of other haunted house movies. Like, this is this is such good tension to eventual use of jump scare, but not necessarily the jump scare you were expecting. Uh, it's fan-fucking... T- and it doesn't do a lot, like, beyond that. It's not super deep in the kinds of scares it delivers. It's just a, like, perfect example of a good use of bump-in-the-night jump scares. I have two things to say on this. The first of which is that this movie has one of the most, like clear differentiations between its three acts of any movie that came out in the last 20 years where it's like the first act is the bump in the bump in the night type haunted house shit, which is what you're saying. And that part of the movie is absolutely captivating and wonderful. Then you have the middle part where they introduce Lynn Shay and her gang where you have basically it's like the seance section. And then the third section, third act is is in the further. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And they each have their own sort of unique and interesting, like, good parts, bad parts, or whatever. To your point, though, the first third of the movie, maybe it's a little bit more. I can't remember the exact timestamp when the when the paranormal investigators come but in. But it is but the like, first act, for sure. Yeah. That part fucking rules. <laughs> it's so good. 
it's some of the best jump scares like I can think of. I mean, the 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 iconic one that's on the goddamn poster, even though the poster doesn't really give it away, right? Is the lipstick demon behind Patrick Wilson's face in broad fucking daylight. It's so good. So, yeah, I mean, that is the iconic one. That's probably the image most remembered from this film, but the one that like stuck with me this time around was Rose Byrne looking through the window and seeing the kid doing his doofy fucking little dance in front of the gramophone. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know what? You, okay, so so that that one I, I agree with you, Mark is also good. The one that got me the most was kind of when shit's not hit the fan yet, but when it's just started to get bad. <laughs> shit, the fan adjacent. Shit, fan adjacent. Yeah. Yes, um, the the front door stuff of the new house. Where, oh, like, God. there's someone at the door, maybe, who knows, the light burns out, Patrick Wilson can't see, and then they scream, and he runs upstairs, comes back down, and the door's all the way open, with the chain dangling there. Fucking terror. That's the shit that got me. And the thing that I actually loved about this movie is that they explain that in the franchise. That Yes. That, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're not going to get too far into that, but, like, the fact that they wrote that in a way that it comes back, and is explained like within universe. I fucking loved that shit. That was super cool. More <laughs> yeah. on that in my story rating a little bit later, but yeah, um, that's Lee one L right there. Yeah. I don't have a lot to add when it comes to the scares. I agree with what you're saying. I, in particular, the first, I, I kind of view this movie more in halves than in thirds, but I totally see what you're saying. Mark, the first half being how, how many halves? Uh, three. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, and then the first of that, of those three halves was my favorite. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the jump scare that really stuck with me the most again this time is also the very obvious one that is the one that's in broad daylight. And I think that what stuck with me about it this time is it's a really well executed one from pretty much every aspect. I love the misdirection that happens. I love the way they set it up. I mean, there's probably like three or four things you could say about how if you were to go into this blind, knew nothing about it, you wouldn't be expecting that, and it would just absolutely obliterate you, right? Oh, like, man. they, they yeah. go through the whole process of, of building tension. They release the tension in the flashback that the mom is giving to the demon at the side of the bed, and it's like fingers and all that stuff, and then they hit you with it at the moment that should be the decompression after the build of the tension. So, like, you thought so you had the false summit thinking that it was like a creepy flashback where there was the release because you saw the creepy demon and then you get hit with it face first. It's incredible. Jake, they just to clarify, because you actually haven't said what the jump scare was yet. You're talking about the same one Jack is, right? Where it's, it shows... Yeah, sorry. I referred to it as the big one. I mean, it is okay. the big one. So, yes, I am referring to the lipstick demon behind Patrick Wilson's character, perfectly framed over the like black In like slate whatever wall art thing they have is. But in broad daylight? Oh, yeah. God. It's just, only, th th so you described it as I, in broad daylight, and the one that I also described as in broad daylight as well, so I just wanted to make sure that that was clear. I see, I see. That's fair. The other thing that I was thinking about on this one, too, is you have, like, James Wan is obviously really good at capturing something like this. It's proven. And it brought me back to the shutter. I forget what the name of the show was, so Jack, jump in if you can remember. I don't think Mark watched it. Um, the one that Mickey Keating you. hosted that I really liked, at least. The Core? The Core. Thank you, Mark. The Core. Yeah, Mark nailed it. You mean it. that one that I watched, like, I think five of the six episodes of? Oh, I thought you didn't watch it. I don't know. Maybe it was Jack that didn't watch it. Whatever. I watched it. Oh, well, never mind. No a, fantasy Persecution point. complex over here. Oh, God. Wow. Anyway, there was one where Lee Winnell was on it, and I think that 
this is kind of that perfect example of the discussion that they had around how to do that diversion that creates a good jump scare. This was that executed well. It really was. And so we've talked had something about this to do before. With that I think it might have been on the Pat cast that we talked about this before, but we've talked about kind of the three eras of jump scares, right? The first ones was just like a jump scare. And then the second era where they build up the music real loud. And then it's after the music cuts off when you've let your guard down that the jump comes out. And then the third kind of modern era we're in now where they play with that too. And this is kind of the transition between the second and third of those, right? Where the head fake this one jump has, scare. yeah, this one has a lot of those jump scares where, I mean, and, James Wan has said, like, all you need is creepy violins, and they play, and then they stop, and after they stop, everybody lets their guard down, and that's when something jumps out. And it's like, that happens a lot in this movie, but then also, after the whole jump scare scene has happened, he shows you a scene in broad daylight at a kitchen table where there's the biggest fucking jump scare of them all. So it's like it's playing with that, too. So this is, a, I think, a cool expression of that idea we only talked about for like eight other people <laughs> well and insidious chapter three is known for having one of the largest like the most crazy ju- no it's not crazy it's just like out of the blue jump scares um but that this was actually something that i had in does middle and the only reason was because this movie fucking does it phenomenally well and it was a commercial success and the reason i had it in, in does middle is because it inspired a shitload of other movies that came out after 2010 to try and do the same thing and not really pull it off all that That's well. That's kind of so, harsh, man. That's I, harsh. I know, but I would. I, I think it's interesting to say that this movie seemingly set the standard for the new lazy jump scare, which is funny because I wouldn't say any of the jump scares in this movie are lazy. They're all earned, I think. I mean, there's a couple that are like throwaways, but they're all earned. I, I totally agree. I just yeah. think this one sort of changed the tone. It's sort of how, like, you can look back at, I think I've referenced this disproportionately a number of times, but, like, if you go back and look at Call of Duty <laughs> World at War, it was the one that did the Nazi zombies mode, and then after that it just fucking exploded. That game did Nazi zombies, just the general zombie mode, great, but then it became lazy immediately afterward, and every single fucking game that yeah. came out had a zombie mode in it. That's yeah. what this movie did to jump scares. Very personal take on this, but like I thought that that in per- the much heralded jump scare of lipstick behind Patrick De- Patrick Wilson, I thought that one was so good that if I could see you putting that one in the middle because it felt so solid, or considering what was around it, that it feels when I watch this movie like that was the pitch. That was the selling point, and then they built everything around it. And it's not that that created like a totally lackluster movie, but that stands out so much to me in viewing it now for the multiple time that it just kind of feels like we got to build something around this really sick concept we thought of, guys. Figure it out. And they did because they're extraordinarily competent people, but... It just is, it stands on its own, in my opinion. I, I mean, I have zero qualms with that. If you have an absolutely brilliant, like, game changer of an idea, I don't care if it's one second long on film. Yeah. Shoot it and then make it work. Yeah. I mean, call good. back to last week, Lake Mungo. That's what Lake Mungo exactly. is. Exactly. Right? We have yeah, this like idea. That makes good fucking back. movies yeah. sometimes. This is yeah. less than that. This is not as much that. It is like Mungo. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Um, but, I mean, to speak to the lazy jump scares, there is one that's lazy, and it's the viewfinder shot. Jack, It's one Jack, I love. Jack, We're going to put a pin yes, on sir. that. We're going to put a oh, pin God. right okay. in it. We're okay. still in what the okay. movie does right. And while okay. we're... Okay. Let, let's talk... 
I'm, let's talk about the cinematography. Okay. I, that's funny. I was going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> the, oh, it's so interesting. There's so many, like, washed out colors or slightly distorted, almost. I don't know if it's quite a fisheye. I don't know the technical term for it, but it kind of seems a little bit like a fisheye to me of, like, slightly distorted shots or washed out color shots when things are weird. When the character who you're identifying with on screen doesn't know what's going on and the distortion in the camera comes like you feel that with them because it's all weird or washed out or distorted and it's fucking fantastic. Okay, so color was something that I'm going to bring back up here in a little bit. The fisheye is a thing that exists for a few individual scenes. They actually do bust that out every once in a while. And I don't know if it's because they were actually just filming in a real house and they wanted to like show as much as they could, or if what you're saying is true and they're just trying to like make it more distorted a little bit. Probably both would be my guess. Yeah, but, I think it's both. Um, yeah, the other thing I'd written down was that it's interesting, and I think it lends itself really, really, really well to the what we've already pontificated on the jump scares of the film, the camera is exceptionally kinetic in this movie. They're constantly moving. They're zooming in. It's, it's very clearly just being like, it's not on a gimbal. It's not on a track or anything like that. It's not steady cammed at all. There's just like a dude holding a camera. But it's it's not trying to be found footage either. It's just, it's weird. It's it's yeah. Exactly. So in a in a weird way, you get the same benefits of having that sort of like voyeuristic, real quality that you would get out of a Paranormal Activity or a Blair Witch Project and the found footage aspect. But it is shot in a omniscient third person perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. It's the it's the general it's the standard narrative filming perspective, and that creates a very I don't familiar sense with the family while also still feel it makes you feel like you're in the scene and and in that way you're feeling just as vulnerable to the fact that they're being fucking haunted by this by Fireface. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I fully agree. The cinematography, I think, is brilliant throughout this movie. Yeah. Uh, In that same way. We should pile on here. They're then allowed just because it seems like their camera person was able to like hold the camera in whatever they way they wanted. There are a few scenes where there's just like sort of these slight Dutch angles and sort of weird like chaotic shit that's happening. And I've shot on Dutch angles in the past. I think they can be used very effectively, and I think this movie does them correctly. But it's like, you know, don't put it at 45 degrees. This is one of those ones that does it like the slow rotation or something like that, where it just seems like the person is who's holding the camera is is just you you don't realize it's tilted until the scene's over. Yeah, exactly. And then all of a sudden everything reorients and you realize you've been holding your neck at like a 10 degree angle and you're like, "Oh <laughs> shit, fuck. Okay, that's why my neck hurts." Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh it's it's it I mean it's it's the best part of that House of Leaves book, right? Not the best part, but one fantastic part is the text shifts slightly like 1% <laughs> every page for 40 pages until you're almost holding the book sideways and you're like, "Wait, what the fuck? The text is sideways." It's crazy. It's a good book. Oh man. Let's talk about Patrick Wilson and Rose Byrne because this has a lot of kid acting and I don't think the kid acting is like super strong. It's fine. But this it it's fine. But this movie lives and dies on the performances of Rose Byrne and Patrick Wilson, and they both fucking nail it. Yeah. Hmm. I, we've talked at length about this before. Patrick Wilson, unsung hero of the horror world. Oh, my God. He's like one of horror's all-time greats. He really, I mean, yeah. In, I think, that, I think last, yeah. he's getting up there, man. He yeah, has yeah, some especially, fucking. Yeah, last 15 years, yes. Right at the top. Like, right up there, last 15 years. 
100%. Uh, Absolutely. Never have I said anything more true than I just want him to sing Midnight Special to me in the tall grass. I just want that <laughs> over and over and over again. <laughs> but he and his character is so like is the one I identify with as a husband whose wife believes in things I don't necessarily believe in. Like <laughs> that's such an identifiable thing of like you just think I'm crazy. I'm like no, I believe you. I'm doing all this stuff, but also like it's hard. And that's <laughs> he plays like, it so it well. You're not home when I'm home. <laughs> yeah, it's a it is kind of an interesting little writing twist because that's the way it's all set up and then it's like actually you live this shit you asshole, <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of funny. Yeah, no, it's great. That's true. It's the it's the inverse of the of paranormal activity. But but they also, I mean, but what what's so critical about the writing and performances here is that that paradigm is set up for me to not relate to the Rose Byrne character, right? The person who's experiencing stuff when Patrick Wilson isn't around. But I also super relate to her. They do such a good job of, like, and she does such a good job of selling her experience as well that I relate to both of them whenever they're the primary one on screen. Yeah, it is funny that, like, most of the scary shit happens to her character. I, I, yeah. I actually, one of the other things I had under Does Right is, and we haven't talked about it yet, the baby the baby monitor as an EBP device is a fucking incredible thing that I feel like probably had been done before, but like... Signs. Signs. Yeah. Yeah. But still, this is an incredible scene. I fucking... <laughs> it's oh, so good. It's really good. Yeah. I, I would also clarify that signs, not technically EBP, it's just picking up another signal. It's what does EVP stand for exactly? Electronic <laughs> voice, voice phenomenon. phenomenon. So yes, I mean that's what that is. They picked up an yeah, alien it's instead not, of a it's fucking not in ghost. The context of a of a ghost. It's in the context of an alien. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah, it was dude. Better, fuck it was you. Better Stop in trying to correct anyway. me on air. It was better in signs. <laughs> I I mean I kind of would say that this is better than signs. Signs no. is just like some weird sound and False. shit. False. Okay. False. It, was, fine. it was vastly better in signs. Wow. Okay. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have to agree to disagree on that one. Uh, it's very good. I enjoyed that scene very, very much. I liked it too. But to get back to our original point here, it is funny that this movie plays the it plays the card of just like all the shit happens to Roseburn, and then Patrick Wilson comes in and he's the actual one who kind of accidentally caused all of it in the first place. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh I have one more thing to talk about, which is the very, very fucking end of the movie, and we already a little bit talked about it. But I want to say that I actually really like the, the I really like the cliffhanger in this Why? one. I think it's really well done. I are you guys going to talk about this later in the episode? I yeah I don't like this as an ending to this movie. I don't as like one this as an ending movie. to any movie. Okay. Yeah. So I'll put a pin in this, and we'll have a bigger discussion about this probably in what the movie does wrong, <laughs> okay, <laughs> which I fully can, understand. I get you that. can go out you can go out there and say you like it, and then uh, whatever. Okay, I don't give a fuck about when we talk about it. Cool. Let's talk about what it does middle. It's fine. Whenever oh, wait. No, no. Wait. I got another right thing. Do you? Tiny Tim. Tiptoe through the Actually, tulips. Actually, I, such do, a I great have it too. It's right. Song. Fucking, it's there. See, boom. That's the one. Boom. Right there. That is in good. It's in good. It's in a <laughs> subheading called good. Yeah, it's in the good. It's in the good area. What Tiny the movie Tim, does dude, good. It is. <laughs> it's perfect. It's so creepy. Tiny Tim is so creepy. He's, yes. Like, I, I can think of two. There, there are two, as far as I can tell, like modern pop culture uses of Tiny Tim, and they're SpongeBob and yes, this. It's and a lot on different. Opposite ends of the spectrum, <laughs> and they're both perfect. Uh, SpongeBob is creepy in its own way. <laughs> well, it, it is, is but like, works. 
SpongeBob. But either way, the ti- the use of tiptoe through the tulips, which I think was actually a cover when Tiny Tim did it. But either it, way, uh, it's fun. I went down a Tiny great. Tim like my mini rabbit hole, right? Because it was okay. so creepy, and I was like, "What the fuck? I want to like see this guy perform this." So I, like I looked at a live video, and it was so weird because it's very theatrical and there's like crowd interaction it was on like one of those like night shows or whatever right and he's like doing his thing and the crowd's laughing and it feels like it's kind of a laugh track I, it was bizarre and then i went down more of a rabbit hole and there was like this whole internet discussion i read about why tiny tim is so creepy or t- t- sorry tiptoe through the, tiptoe through the tulips is so creepy and it talked about it being a cover but then his take on it and like being like a jester and being like forced into the situation of this fun kind of frolicky thing is weird. Anyway, whatever. It was oh, awesome, Jack. Man. Long story Either short, way. Jake is now haunted by the ghost of Tiny Tim. <laughs> that would not be fun. <laughs> I, Jake, I hope the first time I see you do karaoke, you do it in a very high false. I can't get Tip there. Through the tulips, through the tulips. <laughs> okay, we can move on to middle now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I broke format there a little bit, but. That uh, was the middle I have the format view- you've ever been, Jack. <laughs> I mentioned it a little bit earlier. Viewfinder shot is middle for me. The viewfinder scare. Uh, Which comes. one is this? This is the one where okay, so the viewfinder is the thing oh, with like the yeah. the the, the, yeah, yeah, the yeah. circle of different colored lights he has, but it's it's a toy where you push the lever and it rotates to a different picture that you're looking through okay. the goggles. It was the one um, with the the girls and then the smile and all that shit. Yeah, and then he spills out into the living room and he's like, "Call her, call Elisa, yeah, or whatever the fuck exactly her name is. Yeah, right." Okay. Because I I like the jump scare. I think it's kind of effective in the movie, but it's also. When we talk about kind of lazy dumb. jump scares, like that's the most lazy, predictable possible jump scare. Like as soon as it's the first one's blue, I'm like, oh, three or four colors from now, there's going to be something scary there. Yeah, of course. And it's like black for half a second, and then a new color, and black for half. It's like <laughs> that is green, as lazy and, and predictable as jump scares yeah. get. Yeah. <laughs> there is also, something. There is something Whatever. interesting about the way they shoot the ghosts in this, in that scene, and like a bunch of the shit in the further, where it seems like they're sped up in a way. And I don't know if they, I don't know if they are or not, but like that fundamentally did not like. I don't think that aged well. It was like this sort of stylistic choice they made. Well, I think. they're almost like stop motion. It's like their yeah. facial fig- their facial features are like stop motion because they go into that weird like we're immediately smiling like you're missing frames. Yeah, exactly. It's not exact. So it's not like it's sped up. It's that they just cut out shit. From it. So I've seen some stuff online where Spider Man into the Spider Verse, right? This One of the best movies thing. ever. It's it's fan fucking tastic, and in that movie, when Miles Morales is learning how to be Spider Man against the very experienced Peter Parker, Peter Parker is animated at a much higher frame rate than Miles Morales, so he looks clunky and like he doesn't know what he's doing yet, and like it's that kind of subtle shit. And I've read online, not from anyone who was involved in the film, but I've read on Reddit that that was inspired by these shots from this movie where because that's what they use for these ghosts is they found a technique where they can show the ghosts at a lower frame rate than the humans that are alive and moving around that is really fucking cool yeah, <laughs> yeah. how about that we got there. so i don't we know man- that that's true i hope it is because it's really fucking cool we managed to work in spider-man into the spider-verse into our review was in of insidious <laughs> i can work spider-man into almost anything dude that movie's so fucking good <laughs> Anyways. Oh, fuck yeah. And that's the only thing I had does middle is that viewfinder shot. I had two different ones. The first of which is basically on the same vein as kind of what you were saying. 
in a little bit of a different way. I'm not nitpicking it because we're not in nitpicks yet. I'm not shit talking this <laughs> one because of how lazy it is. I just don't think it looks particularly good. Uh, the gas mask is a weird problem. Oh my god! Thank you. That's gonna come up for me. The later. gas mask. So <laughs> on the on the external shots, it looks good. It is a good effect to have in the seance scene. It makes it creepy. That World War One, I guess, one sort of yes. aesthetic to everything gives it but this why? sort of like stored. Of, well, yeah, that's part of it. Is why the fuck is that there? But it does give oh, it this I'll sort be talking of like about weird that. storied history, I guess. But then the unforgivable sin that they do is they shoot through the eyes of the of the gas mask for no fucking reason, and it looks terrible. Where so, the whole purpose of the gas mask is ostensibly to let her see into the spirit world so she can tell the guy drawing the pictures for no fucking reason what's happening? I'm okay with that as, like, a functional concept of, like, she needs to directly whisper to him, and this is the means that they have procured in order to make that happen the little kids pictures of what's happening are so much more accurate than that asshole's drawings of what we've heard the words she said to him and none of them are a creepy splinter spider demon hanging from the top wall (laughs) she says red face black legs spider legs black legs and then he draws a perfect thing it's like what the fuck you don't need no (laughs) you're you're not oh god i'm not we're not there yet no that was that is a definitive nitpick with this movie we got there early that's it's not a nitpick. No, it's just what the movie does wrong for me. One of the things this movie does middle is the gas mask. I think it is a sufficiently creepy image, but the actual functionality and execution of it is bullshit. I'll buy that. <laughs> uh, the only other one I was going to throw out here was that the movie's color palette is bad. This, I mean, it, it is very much a product of the early 2000s where everything was just this like blue, brown, gray type color. This movie is has no vibrancy to it whatsoever. And then they lean into it hard in the in the further, which is fine because that's the part where it's like whatever, you're in the nether realm. But even so, the even the parts that are shot in like real life are muted and boring. There's there's nothing I, in here Mark, that isn't just washed out. So why is this I, I have a question and I think that's going to lead to what I'm hoping that okay, wh- uh, why is this middle? Why is this middle? Uh, because uh, so they're trying to make they're trying to make build a world. This is part of the immersion aspect of the movie. Okay. It's a stylistic choice for them to, to pick a visual style. Jack is being exceptionally is. distracting right now, just dancing around like a motherfucker. He clearly Jack's, has trying, to, to Jack's trying to raise Shaking. his hand on a podcast. I- I kind of agree with what you're saying. I understand the colors are largely washed out, but it's for a purpose. They're, they're, when they're washed out, it's part of that distortion that they're trying to do. Every time you don't know what's going on, there are vibrant shots, and they're when the characters are being scared or when there is nothing scary happening at all. Those are vibrant colored shots, and I agree with that the palette is a little bit lacking it's, it's but it's the use of, of color is there it's it's just yeah it is lacking do you know the only scenes in this movie that aren't that do you know what they are it's lipstick demon that's the only time you have anything that breaks up that kind of drab overall sheen this movie and has in a very weird way for whatever reason it reminded me of schindler's list <laughs> Where it's exceptionally muted colors, and then the thing that they're trying to make pop is this like bright red thing. Uh, that, Why did you go with Schindler's List, not like the Spirit? <laughs> what? 
Say that again. <laughs> you could have referenced the spirit instead of Schindler's List, and then I wouldn't have to be thinking about Nazis. I don't know what the spirit is. What are you talking it's about? It's the one with the ties. They wear like a red tie. I don't know. It, it's it, like Schindler's the... List is a better and more memorable movie. Maybe that's why, Jack. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. The spirit sucks. It's a bad film. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? Schindler's List is not a bad film. No, I'm talking about the spirit. Oh my the God. spirit is then a bad why are you film. Trying to, get to talk about the spirit, you asshole. Because I don't want to think about Nazis, unlike some people on this podcast. <laughs> hey, you got to remember, history is doomed to repeat itself. <laughs> oh think God. about that. Oh my Boom. God! Knowledge. Can we go to what this movie does wrong? Yes, please. Yep. Like, be, get the hell out of here. <laughs> oh, my uh, God. It's the explanation of the supernatural. That's what this movie does wrong. It's what leads to the whole, like, third act. It's that whole second act. It's it's that Lin Shay knows so much about what's going on, but only tells useless fucking nothings, but tells it in a very definitive way. But she apparently knows exactly what's happening. This is the same oh fucking God. problem that is so that is so endemic within Harry Potter. It would be, that whole series would be infinitely better if Dumbledore just reached out to Harry and was like, okay, here's your fucking life story. Here's everything you need to know. If you ever see any of this like morbid imagery or whatever, here's what it actually means. We don't need to spend 55 fucking chapters worried about this stupid esoteric thing that I'm eventually just going to explain to you. That is oh, and exactly by the way, does here's a goddamn like, time machine that I'm going to give to a different student to use to go to two classes at once later on when the fate of the fucking world's at stake. How about give him the time machine to fucking start? Right, exactly. So, Lin Shay, when you come in, be, just be like, okay, so there's a little bit of a history here. We're going to talk about this for a minute. Your son is in a fucking spiritual coma. This might be useful information for you to have before I independently verify that he's being haunted by a by fucking BL's booth. <laughs> but but it also goes it goes into the gas mask thing too. It's like this movie is too specific in how things work to then have totally unexplained things like the gas mask. But then it's also the stuff with Lee Wan L, like I'm the most important part. I draw what she says. Fucking why? Maybe if she said it out loud, everybody could just hear and you're bullshit ass drawings which don't help at all it's not like knowing what it looks like ever helps anyone literally ever what the fuck it's so st i hate but it it's so save, but save it's a little creepy, bit of that for Jack. nitpicks but i actually do love lee winnell's character in this i mean he's pretty <laughs> funny he's pretty funny okay this i honestly what this boils down to for me is just frankly this movie gets worse as it goes which is a huge yes. problem yeah it's a big problem like I get that there can be movies where it's like hard to live up to the stage you set, and I do think that the first half of this movie or first third, if you want to do it in thirds, Mark is very very solid. I do want to do it, in but thirds, it goes thank you. so it goes so downhill that like I just can't help leaving the experience feeling let down. Like I can't, and that's I don't know a problem. If I, like, I don't know if I get to that point, but I do ooh. commiserate one hundred percent with this take. Oh, Ooh. absolutely. And there's two specific things that Lin Shay does and says that, like, piss me the fuck off about this movie that make me feel like the movie's writing is, it's it's like a J.J. Abrams thing where it's like, I'm, they were just trying to trick me. They're just Why trying to fuck Abrams me. Why do you hate J.J. Abrams so much, man? You've been shitting on J.J. Abrams the last two episodes. What did he do to you? <laughs> you <laughs> don't even want to know, what Mark. you watch? No, but... There's, there's two things that she says. The first one is that she's just not very good at her job at all, right? She, <laughs> is this when her she job? First I don't makes think it's her job. That's her whole job. Are you kidding me? Is it? 
It so frequently happens that she has two full-time staff people to go check people out to make sure it's actually paranormal. She's got an LLC going. Nah, these are are like at best, like, you know, roll it out and go hard for a minute. It's totally a side job, man. This is her whole time. This is a side hustle. I'm not, this is a bad thing. Okay, either way, she's bad at her side hustle. The first first five, oh my God, whatever. The kid says, don't talk. They'll find me. Yep. She says, they won't find me. And follow my voice. And then the next thing she says is, oh, they found me. <laughs> Fuck. We're all fucked. <laughs> uh, Jack, I'm going to interject here real quick Unreliable. because this is a fucking huge, huge missed opportunity. Canonically, I'm given to understand by IMDb, um, Lynn Shay's character's name is Elise. We understand that from watching this one. Her last name is Rainier. Yeah, I, oh, I know. Yeah. You did not drink a Rainier this episode. Strategically, Actually, he did. Mark, are you fucking... I, look at what am I holding up right now. I'm always drinking This Rainier. would have been the... And what was your what was your beer for the for the episode? It wasn't that. Lost Grove's First Sight. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You, this is this is why you always got to introduce your second beer, man. No, we're not You had doing a perfect beers. thematic beer. We're done doing yeah. two beers. We're done. Yeah. We're not. I did not sign <laughs> off on this. I don't care. Okay, the second thing. That Elise does, that Lin Shay does. When Patrick Wilson is going into the spirit realm, she says, the only thing you need to do is make sure they don't know you're not one of them, because then all hell's going to break loose. (laughs) That's it. No further information. Not how to do that. Not what that could possibly fucking mean. Just make sure they know you're not one of them. Bye. I'm not how to not, you now, asshole. Not how to fight ghosts or demons yeah. or whatever. She she chimes in later like you're stronger than them. Just like fucking push them out of the way or whatever. Yeah. What if she said, "Hey, by the way, you can make physical contact with these things, and if you hit them real hard, that's gonna do a thing in this spirit world." And what I mean when I say make sure you know they know you're not one of them is don't gawk at them all weird and poke them in the fucking forehead, asshole. <laughs> exactly. Jesus. I love that his immediate reaction is shine a flashlight in their eyes and be like hey where's my son hey fuck it's, you i'm gonna poke you in the forehead where's I mean, my goddamn like, fucking son oh you're gonna shoot your family with a shotgun okay i'm sorry that whole part of the movie feels like we've lost track of the good writing and now we had some creepy shots the further and, is such a weird thing actually you know what let's let's rewind a little bit the further is what this movie does middle it is a exceptionally further. good concept that allows for the execution of creepy imagery but it is so bad in execution that, because I mean, they're too specific about it because they're too specific yeah, exactly. It's it like, hey, don't let them know what you're really doing. I'm going to show up and like punch them in the well, kidneys that, until they acknowledge me. That's kind of the thing. It would be better to not, like, you don't always have to show it, right? But this is made from an era where you have to show it. Like, you bring in Lynn Shay and her band of fucking white shirt wearing dickheads, and it's the exact wow. same shit that you get in Poltergeist. This is Poltergeist. And you it can is. Tell, and this is very I mean, much just Poltergeist you can 30 tell years that later. They know that. Right, like they go right down to the scene of like them being in the kitchen, like with meat out. Right, that's fine. I get that there's an homage there. It's an homage, but what does Poltergeist not fucking do that this does? It this goes so much farther into having to show you every little nook and cranny of the concepts that are creepy. That it's so much farther into the further. It goes so much farther into (laughs) the further. I can't handle it. It sucks. I hate it. It it does. It's bad. It's what the movie does wrong. For sure. Sort of. 
I, 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 no. I am inclined to agree with you, but I think in general, the further is a good enough concept. We'll get back to this when I do my story. Ratings, it's a, but. no, I agree that it's a good concept, but what my argument is that you don't, this is a classic example of you don't have to show everything. Yes. You agreed. get in, in, in Poltergeist, you get the idea that Orangina knows enough about the spirit world to contact it. I don't think her name's actually Orangina. Uh, it's Tangina. Tangina. Yeah. Tangina. Yeah. Uh, you get, you get, she knows enough about how to contact it and that there's scary shit going on, and that's, like, about it, and then stuff yeah. gets scary. Here, Lin Shea very specifically is like, no, I know exactly about how it all works, and <laughs> Been I'm real there, good done at that. it. Yeah, and then, no, turns out I'm not. Whoops, uh-oh. <laughs> Been there, done that, but also everything that my team does will seem like we're remarkably unprepared. That's because we've planned it well. <laughs> I will tell you this much. If anyone could make me fall asleep that fast, I would think that person was a fucking wizard, and I'd probably do what they said, regardless of actually being hypnotized. Uh, you can like, make me fall asleep that fast. I'm I'm like a light man. You can just ter- basically, if you throw a pillowcase over my head, I'm just out. Yep. Dude, I'd pay like those asshole like ghost whispers that steal a bunch of desperate people's money. I would pay them their exorbitant fees if like they could just make me sit in a chair and turn on a metronome and make me fall asleep. That's worth all the fucking money in the world. Those Jesus people probably Christ, are dude. out there. We this is this is now a Craigslist ad. <laughs> <laughs> Sleep. Except aid. I'm probably not going to murder them. Hey, one other thing this movie does wrong is uh, <laughs> the visual effects. Overall, this movie kind of nails it. I actually appreciate the vibe they go for. But man, there's some CG shit in this that did not age well. <laughs> it's all like the smoke stuff looks terrible. So there's a few different things. There's handprints on the windows early on that look fucking terrible. And then a uh, good old lipstick head, whatever the fuck we're calling him. He's a great villain when he's standing still. But like in the later chase scenes. Oh, my he's God. On the, on the walls, walls or whatever. And and he's a, yeah. And he's a full on animated low frame rate villain that's just like pouncing from wall to wall. It, You're like, this looks bad. This does not so age shitty. well at it's all. It's so actively not scary. Yeah, he like, it's a big moment when he like is supposed to, he, he shows weightiness, he's big, like he's actually aggro. He's like crawling on the walls and you're like, what the fuck am I looking at, man? Yeah, and the, and the addendum to this as well, which is something that we don't talk about frequently, is photo manipulation. So this one of the big turns of this movie is when they reveal to Patrick Wilson's character his history that sure. he has seemingly forgotten. And With they the show the all photos. of these like individual photos of this old lady creeping up on him from the spirit dimension in the background. And they look fucking bad, man. Whatever intern they tasked <laughs> with photoshopping these things did not have the requisite level of Photoshop masterdom and that was like needed for this task. So easy to make a fucking blurry picture that a bunch of people think is fucking Bigfoot. Right, exactly. You could we talked about Lake Mungo last week. That uh, I think came out also in 2010, yes or no? Maybe 2005. Okay, so it came out before this, <laughs> and it did that. It did the same thing better than this, where it was like putting creepy shit in the background of photos. This is just like literally MS Paint style. Like, there's a rectangle. I'm gonna pull that image out. I'm gonna put it on top of that. Ooh, that looks creepy. Yeah, I'm gonna use the magnetic lasso tool. Yeah, exactly. Separate from foreground and blur. There we go. She's taking she's taking Polaroids of her son, and there is. Just a straight-up human being standing directly behind her son. What the yep. fuck? This is not. Those are not good photos. They're not good props. 
<laughs> um, this kind of goes along with my point of them over-explaining, but for like how terrifying the demon is and how willing to physically deal with threats the demon is, lipstick face, the lipstick demon, he's so unassuming and unthreatening once he's actually in the spirit world. It's like, oh, he's seen us, and that's kind of a tense moment. And then I'm just going to stand behind Patrick Wilson for 11 and a half seconds while he releases his son. And then we're going to wrestle briefly. And I'll lose, and then they'll run away, and everything's cool. And then I'm gonna, I'm then I'm gonna have the ten year old cornered in a bedroom. Oh, and then he's gonna beat me in a fight, and run it's, back. I, it's they can't. This is why you can't explain things. I need the demon to have magic demon powers that I don't know about. I went, I went one step beyond this. There's the one thing that this movie crystallized in my mind is that there has never been a good seance scene. This movie does the, the one step further, where they actually like the seance becomes an extension of humans actually interacting with demons and directly fighting, which is bad. But, like, seances in general are horrible ideas. If you're out there writing a horror movie, don't include a seance. It's a bad idea. Or, like, have a good idea about it. Don't do them like they're traditionally done. What, and what it's also seance? Like, well, hold on, though. What I was legitimately trying to come up with this. What seance scene has been done really well in horror? I like the poltergeist seance. I, I, that's the one I came back to. Poltergeist yeah. is really well done. And even then, it's like the shit that happens after the seance that I think what is about, really, What really about uh, Ouija Origin of Evil? I know, but you know what? I'm not going to talk shit about Mike Flanagan. But I, that, well, that one was only interesting because it was like you could see the levers being pulled because they were pulling levers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that was a very confusing sentence. But my point is, like, even in those cases, like, they're still not good scenes. You need them for, like, the me- mechanism of the plot to occur. They're necessary, but they're not They're not the high point of the movie. You know what? If you're this good at doing the Haunted House stuff, it could occur off screen. Like, you could have characters talk about what happened during the seance without having to show it and without ruining it. Sure. That's I don't an, know. That's, that's an interesting way to do it. Either way, here's something else the movie does wrong. The fucking conflict Patrick Wilson has with not the main demon outside the red door <laughs> ruins the tension for the rest of the movie. The, the, it's it looks like Loki? The whole yeah, guy? Such, the whole guy? It's such... Yeah, the vampire thing. It's such a light shove. He taps on that motherfucker. They're just like... And then it goes flying. Well, then, cool. I'm a superhero in this world. I'm going to punch all the yeah, demons. Yeah, I would be... I would go out of my way to punch some fuckers. Oh, my God. Yeah. There's, I live in the further now, and I'm a demon-slaying monster. Yeah. Yeah. Look how far I can punch these assholes. Yeah, this is some Saints Row Chapter 4, like, wish-fulfillment fantasy type shit. But yeah. that demon in particular... No, he's not a demon. Sorry. The only demon in this movie is, is Candleface, whatever the fuck his name is. The... The only demon in this, this this dude shows up earlier in the movie, and he just looks like a gothic version of Loki from the Avengers movies. And it's so funny, or the crow. I don't, I don't really know the appropriate cinematic <laughs> reference to make here, but like it is that yeah. is one of the biggest things that takes me out of this whole thing of just like he's like weird... a really built Brandon Lee. Well, his hair yeah. is like too nice. I I don't like it. He's like a buff. Danny DeVito as the penguin. But he's wearing a duster. Like, you can't even see his buffness. <laughs> it's at, least pop it, at least pop his shirt off or something. And then Patrick Wilson also, the the, the big 
climax conflict moment is Patrick Wilson shoves him a well, two hand shove. But aside from that, flying. aside from that, they wrestle for like I don't know two minutes, and then there's the echoey Lin Shay voice of just like, oh, by the way, you're alive, which means I guess that means you have power over them. Or you're something. stronger. And <laughs> he just says you're stronger. Would he have like, already, wouldn't that come up while I'm he have wrestling? Already figured that out? Yeah, he would have already so, figured it out. So he, yeah, exactly. He like breathes on this dude. Mark, 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 <laughs> Mark, <laughs> Mark. <laughs> Mark, I think you need to blow the whistle, dude. <laughs> so, okay, what we're taking from that are two things. One, he should have already figured out that he was stronger than the guy while they were wrestling. Two, one or both of them needed to have a shirt off at the time. I mean, blow off steam by going to bed, astral project into the further, and punch some demons. Oh, that my God. Great. Yeah, you know what? If I'm ever in this situation, I'm going to pop my shirt off before I go into the further. You yeah. have to pop your shirt off. Yeah, if you don't, then what the fuck are you doing? Why do, why do you think you're there? Unbelievable. Okay, since we're in nitpicks, the rung that broke when Rose Byrne first got to the ladder was neither the rung she put her hand on nor the rung she stepped on. It's like she stepped on the ladder, grabbed the ladder, and then a rung two in between those two rungs just broke for no fucking reason. That's an incredible nitpick. <laughs> oh my god. It's- but it's also so specific because it's also where the kid can reach, which is at Rose Burns chest. It's and that's the rung that broke. I assume because it's the one the kid could reach. But then it's like, how the fuck did that break when Rose Byrne was climbing up there? Why did you even show that? It was totally unnecessary. Or also, why the fuck did they did the props department not communicate that effectively to the actor and be like, hey, grab rung number five? Yeah, take a step up. Oh, it's but the, the it's just the wrong rung breaks. I hate it. I have a nitpick in general with okay. horror movies that have addicts in them. This is something that this movie clarified for me. I I had a come to Jesus moment with this one. These this family just moved into their house. And apparently, the first thing they unpacked was their attic full of creepy shit of multiple different birdhouses gigantic full-length mirrors and stuff. And uh, it occurred to me that this is a trope that not enough people are talking about. (laughs) That there's just an attic above your house of extraneous bullshit that is explicitly creepy. Mark, I had a similar nitpick, but in a different vein, because I agree with you. I didn't realize they'd even unpacked it. My nitpick was... You bought a house with a bright red door in the attic, or a door in the attic, or weird shit, a furnace in the attic, the, something. In the real world, something is up there. To clarify, and that's not the, the, the first door fucking... only exists in the attic in the further. But there's a furnace up there in the real world, apparently. Rose Byrne sees something yeah, up there. Burning. All those furnaces that are in attics, sure. The, what the fuck? Why, why is your first question when you tour a house not, hey, I have a question about the furnace in the attic. Seems like a bit of a fire hazard. I mean, you're not buying that house. I'm also, not, also yeah, you're you're in there and you're just like, uh, all of this, all of this creepy bullshit that's covered in like two inches of dust. This comes with the house, right? Oh, for no, we I'm get the washer, that. the dryer, and everything in the attic. That's what I want. <laughs> My God. Oh God. It's, okay, I, but this is also something that is endemic. <laughs> In the genre, there are so many attic scenes that we just assume that there's all of this crazy shit that is in people's attics. Do these houses exist that just have a full on the biggest room in the house in this house that they buy is in the attic and it's just dust covered in bullshit and not insulated. 
Now, Mark, I will say this. In my present house, where I've lived for several years and intend to live for several more, there is there are a number of things that I've just decided stay with this house. If I leave, it's the next fucking asshole's problem. I'm already <laughs> gone. I sold it to him. I'm yeah, not like moving that mold. shit out. Yeah. Most of it is just like boxes of weird shit I bought while drunk, but... Uh, there, there is going to be a room filled with weird shit I haven't touched in many years. I have a similar vein to that where we have a crawl space. We have like the shit that's above our garage and whatever. There are some baskets and lumber and construction supplies or whatever that's like in there. But like, I, if I move into a house, two things, one, I don't want all of the extra shit from the previous owners who clearly got murdered by shotgun on the couch to still be up in the attic. <laughs> and two, like, I forgot what I was going to say. God damn it. <laughs> I like that you had two, though. It's good. I, I did have, have two. Pick, it's going to come back to me in the middle of ratings, and then I'm going to go off on a whole tangent. That's fine. That's fine. I have another nitpick to talk about since we're here. Oh, I mean, we, yes. That's where that's- I already talked about how nobody needs the fucking drawings from what that guy is saying. Those drawings aren't helpful. They're, they they have nothing to do with anything, with the plot, with the solution. Well, especially when you have the whole story given to you by the kids' drawings. Right, exactly. So he's not drawing anything based on what she's saying. Even if he was, it wouldn't help anything. Uh, then you go to his sketchbook, and they give us a lot of close-ups on Lee Wan-El's sketchbook. Yeah. And... He's Specs. writing Thank the word you. help over and over in giant charcoal letters. Yeah, I like that the font gets bigger every time the demon... Oh. Like, like, like he's representing how loud the demon is screaming. <laughs> but also, it's saying help me very clearly over and over, and he's only writing help, so he's just doing a bad job. He's not writing it's, all the words it's shorthand, he's dude. It's fine. And then it's a page per fucking word at the end of it. Like Mark was saying, it's so big in this giant charcoal shit. Hey, maybe if you just wrote stuff normally on lined paper with a pen, you wouldn't snap a charcoal stick in half and you'd be able to keep writing. You're losing a second per word to page turning. You could just keep up with it, no problem. If you Maybe, fucking- maybe he has a flair for the dramatic, Jack. Yeah. Then that's the wrong person to have in your employ for that person. No, that is job. exactly the right person to have in your employ. Hey. I think you'll find. Elise Rainier LLC is like, hey, buddy, I need someone who can draw creepy shit and like draw that motherfucker out so that when we present this to our clients, they're like, they're doing a good fucking job. <laughs> that looks exactly like my son's drawing. Man, oh that God. is a creepy representation of something that might or might not be happening in my house. How about you have a court stenographer recorded in their crazy shorthand they can do? They're so they fucking good, and they're they cheap. They probably don't need that side hustle, man. It's fine. Oh, my God. Actually, that would have made this so much better if there was a court stenographer in the background. <laughs> Just clackety, 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 clackety. Yeah, they said, like, three words. Actually clacking? <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, no, legit oh, clacking. Mark, have you seen a stenographer's keyboard? They're insane. There's like 12 keys, and each one has three different ways you can push it, and they make different weird symbols. It's nuts. They make combination of some three letters. It's insane. Don't I, come at me like I don't understand stenography, Jack. Don't oh, fucking do, do you? This. Don't do this do to you? me on live air. <laughs> I don't understand I fucking it. love I, I love that there's like documentaries on court stenographers and shit while walking around the floors of Congress just like typing random conversations I love that shit that's so good that oh shorthand they use is so crazy oh, it's God. alien writing oh it's nuts 
Uh, I have a nitpick with the kid. His hair. Oh, good. You haven't talked in a while. His hair. His hair is a nitpick. It's like shades of Pete <laughs> Rose. Why would you allow his parents also, also with the parents, why would you allow this to happen? Uh, sometimes, Jake, your 12-year-old son says, I want to have He's blue hair because he thinks his parents won't Eight? allow it. it. And then that kid's mom says, hypothetically, sure, go for it. This kid... And the kid has to say, no. God damn it. Fine. Make my hair blue. That's not what I wanted, but I didn't think you'd say yes. And then well, you every, have blue hair for a year. Every once in a while, as a parent, you're so fucking tired that you'll just acquiesce to whatever demands your demon child actually wants. Yeah, this kid's like, I want the Pete Rose. This kid's like <laughs> six and a half years old. The kid's like nine. Maybe his drawing <laughs> you're sucked. You're fluctuating then. wildly between ages. His. <laughs> His his drawings sucked, and his drawings are those of a six-year-old with his fucking, like, I'm stick figure grass. His drawings were hands. better than the professional artist's drawings of he the demon. He has the haircut of a 12-year-old and the drawing styles of a six-year-old, and I hate I never it. said his haircuts was 12. Oh, was 12. Mark, when I was talking about a 12-year-old, I was talking about a hypothetical 12-year-old that hypothetically had his hair blue for a year when he was 12 years old. Hypothetically. hypothetically. Yeah. <laughs> Mm. 12 uh, is being generous there, Jack, by the way. Hypothetically, this person would probably have been at least like 16 or 17 at that point. The next one that I can't do this anymore. The next one that, that I had right. was <laughs> how they handled the first sort of jump scare they have with him falling and, you know, like off the ladder, he breaks the thing and he falls down. And he just fucking screams. The piano sting with that mixed with the piano playing from just before that the diegetic and non-diegetic piano thing kind of sucks. It kind of sucks. But I did think but it served not a purpose, right? That. Nah, really. It's kind of, that's mean, almost cheap. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. To me, that jump scare is like he falls and there's a big piano sting and there's a big piano sting from Rose Byrne. And so it like. No, because they're sitting tell- on the couch. She's not playing piano at the time. She's mm. sitting on the couch and, and Patrick Wilson's like blowing raspberries on the baby. With a piano? Fair nitpick. (laughs) (laughs) Piano raspberries. It's very strange. It's strange timing because she had been playing piano, so I think their thought as filmmakers was that you were accustomed to hearing her play it, and then they're going to use that as a sting to get you, and it's stupid, and it's a nitpick. Yeah, no, I I think it's a fair nitpick, but either way, I think the purpose was that first one because it happens right when the scare happens right to get you in the mindset of the music creates the jump scare so you'll be more affected later on when the jump yep. scare goes silent and or when the music goes silent then there's a scare i do think yeah. it's funny that the organic reaction here proves that it worked on jack yeah <laughs> I, I mean that that is something to be said in favor of this movie is that like he thought she was playing piano when she clearly wasn't playing piano <laughs> okay so, so Whatever. it did. It did kind of function like that. That that cue of just like, oh, she played piano earlier, therefore, uh, diegetic. Oh, it's not diegetic. Whatever. Whatever. You're right. Whatever. <laughs> it's still a nitpick. I have I'm a quick nitpick with uh, Rose Burns. I guess home defense tactics. So okay. she. This I talked about this earlier. Love the scene with the EVP thing happening. Over the baby monitor. She, she runs thinks upstairs. there's someone in her she, baby's room. And she, yeah, there's someone in her baby's room. She picks up the baby, puts it in her like arm, doesn't arm herself with anything, and then just like, like starts opening closets and stuff. What the fuck are you thinking is going to happen here? If you find somebody, you have a child in your arms and no weapons. She also ran past a fire poker to get to that room. Uh, yeah, 
Well, but even so, even if you had a fire poker, grab the baby, get the fuck out of the house. If you think someone is in your house, don't stay in the house. That's a bad idea. at least when you open a door, the first thing you do is swing a fire poker. Like, don't don't open the door and see what's in there. Open the door and figure out what's in there by swinging a fire poker as hard as you can. I mean, but that's a really great way to ruin some pressed shirts, though. You know? Like, yeah, you just got to iron sure. again. You're pressing your infant daughter's shirts in her closet? No, I just assume at this point that your wardrobe has overflowed into their closet. Because, honestly, an infant's not going to use their closet. I'm not going to lie to you, Mark. I have ruined a shirt or two swinging things wildly into a closet I thought someone might be in because I was scared. <laughs> that's what? exactly my point. Don't <laughs> maybe just don't open the door. Maybe arm yourself and then leave the house, and then just like cautiously go back in, not holding your fucking infant child in your arms. Yeah, that that does change the game. I don't I don't presently have children, but I uh, I I I'm happy to let let's at least get this to a point right here. This is coming to a head right now. The situation's over. One one of us is either you're gonna kill me or I'm gonna hit you in the head with a fireplace poker as hard as I can. But this this either way, it's over now. And. In any case, it wasn't a good idea to pick up your child. Either they're going to kill me and take my child, or I'm going to kill them and then take my child. Like covered in blood. I don't covered need to be holding blood. my child while all of this is happening. That's just a de- that that that's just a problem. That just it's a recipe for getting blood on your infant. Yeah, that's just a handicap on me. I have another one to talk about. <laughs> There's a jigsaw mask drawn on the blackboard behind uh, Patrick Wilson when he's in the in the classroom for some reason. It's not there for any reason whatsoever. I think this is just a not pick. I kind of just like it as a as a. That's kind of a to... neat. It's an Easter egg. It's a that's a neat pick, dude. Sure, whatever that's you want to call it. James Wan Lee L. Yeah, I like it. I like it as a little call out to James Wan as the director. Yeah, it's great. And Lee Wan L is the writer. Yeah, well, yeah. I, like I said earlier in the episode, this is a preposterous confluence of talent. Lee Wan L wrote Saw, right? He was involved in the writing of Saw. He wasn't. I uh, yes. I'm going to give you a tentative yes without yes. actually fact checking anything. Yes. So, sure. Why not? I'm pretty sure that's right. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Jake. So it depends on how much we trust Jake. I mean, you shouldn't trust me. I have a nitpick. It, this is exactly hey. related to what you were talking about, Jack, uh, with regard to Lynn Shay's character, except I'm going to kind of transpose it onto the mom of Patrick Wilson in this case. So she comes, she rolls in, and at the point in time when she's like, look, I withheld all this information from you, and you're actually going through the sequence of, like, here are these photos. <laughs> Imagine being told that in such a way. Think about the story she goes through where you're thumbing through these photos. Then she's like, I withheld this information. And then she's telling you as you're looking at the photos and closer and closer. It's like she's like she's ready to sprinkle fucking fairy dust on the fire of the Midnight Society campfire. It's like, why are you telling me an actual scary story right now, mom? And this is the tale of Patrick Wilson's traumatized childhood. Like, what is that shit, man? And closer. <laughs> And close, like, why are you getting joy out of this? My kid's in a fucking coma. <laughs> yeah, and beyond, all, yeah, exactly. Like the thing you're not getting to yet is just like, uh, mom, my kid's been in a non medically induced coma that literally no one is able to describe, based on things that I clearly experienced in my childhood, and you're telling me three or four months, months. after the fact, months. You didn't bring this what up. The fuck? I don't know. One day later. You didn't bring it up until we had to move houses because of the paranormal occurrences. Hey, oh my hey, God. mom, maybe bring this up sooner. 
yeah, yeah. she's the actual or Lynn Shay for that matter. May, this this also gets back to just Lynn Shay being like, I'm going to tell you exactly what you need to know right yeah, except now, none of it and nothing <laughs> they're, more. They're both they're both basically the same. It's infuriating. No, no, the the Patrick Wilson's mom is better because she's a very nope. supportive mother-in-law. She's Dumbledore. Not really, don't dude. Get, she's allowed that kid fucking, to be in a coma for three months. Don't fuck me on this. Everyone's just Dumbledore on this one. Dumbledore <laughs> fucking gets off on withholding. Just Dumbledore's from top to bottom. <laughs> I actually, exactly. I, I have I have another nitpick with Patrick Wilson's mom in this movie. At the very end, when he wakes up from his coma, what's her first move? Let me scoop you up and immediately stand you on your feet after you've been in a coma for months. How is that going <laughs> to yeah. go? Your undeveloped up, child muscles need to stand up immediately after being what unused. What the for hell three kind of maneuver is that? Let me scoop you. Let me smother you, scoop you up, and pop you on your feet real quick. <laughs> you got a strength. Welcome back. Lap. Take a lap. God awful. Jack, one real quick nitpick with you. I think it's technically Dumble's door. Dumble's door. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I'm yep, not taking is. this from a guy who said gin and tonics three times last episode. Gins and tonic. I don't know. I haven't yeah. listened yet. Oh, well. I- Mark, how dare you? I released it about 20 minutes before we started recording on Friday <laughs> night. So. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry, listener. I'll be better next time. Hey, Whatever. let's go to ratings. <laughs> Whoa, no, 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 no. I have two two quick ones. Two quick ones. So, first off, there's a there's a moment where what is the fucking guy's Tucker? He's he's the other guy. Don't he's care. the other Bearded Lynch guy. A LLC. Non-specs. Non-specs. There's, there's one line he has where he says, three cameras around the clock, we got nothing. And then he immediately transitions to, also, I got frame-by-frame high-def footage of a demon literally possessing a child. <laughs> Way to bury the lead, asshole. <laughs> the other one, I get that Lee Winnell is a writer, but also... Words are worth a thousand words is a dumb fucking line. That is one of the worst things that's ever been put on paper. <laughs> I thought that was funny. I mean, look, I get it. He's coming from the... F- he wrote it. <laughs> yeah. But also, um, words are worth one word. Pictures yeah, but are worth that's not what he words. meant, though, man. You're taking it out of your... T- you know, you're being too hard. Okay. Sure. He's playing a dumbass. I mean, his character is a dumbass. He's yeah. not a dumb. No, they're they're equal and opposite points of the team. There's there's both of them are dumbasses for comedic relief. Okay, they are for comedic relief. I don't know if they're necessarily dumbasses, but they are lovable like foils to the Lin Shay character, who actually is apparently competent. Who is a vindictive fucking piece of shit who knows stuff and is choosing not to tell it. Let's, and with go, that, let's go to ratings. ratings. <laughs> I'm getting a beer. Tiptoe through the tulips with me. We over at Horror use a 1 through 10 rating system to rate the movies we watch. For one, think of how Wayne and Garth would rate how worthy they are. We're not worthy! We're not worthy! We're not worthy! We're stuck! We suck! And for 10, think of how Werner Herzog would rate how beautiful the baby Yoda is. And I know it's called The Child, don't at me. I have seen it on the set. I've seen it on the set, and it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreakingly beautiful. In- Stories, the first category where I treat these movies. Uh, this was my pick. I'm going to go first for story. This is a six for story for me. Uh, Mark, I understand you're going to go higher, but but I am basically <laughs> only on you? this movie. 
And in this movie, I think they create a pretty good story. I think it's interesting that Patrick Wilson is the one who created the whole thing. I really like the writing to create two different characters with whom I identify at different points, right? I like when Patrick Wilson is on screen that he's the one I identify with. I like when Rose Byrne is on screen. She's the one I identify with. That's all really cool stuff, but it certainly isn't without its faults, and it fully breaks down in the third act, so it's a six. Jake, how about you? Uh, I gave it a six and a half. It's mostly for the same reasons. I There's not a ton here that I would call completely new at the time when this came out. A lot of poltergeist. I like the spin that it takes in concept, not necessarily in execution, but that's why it's a story score. That being said, it's still kind of just a movie about a kid that gets haunted by a demon and then he's in some ether world that they have to go and rescue him from. So six and a half. Mark, I also give it a six and a half. The only other the only additional things I have to say here are one: the further, although not executed particularly well, is something that legit, like straight up, gave this franchise the legs to create three sequels, which is something that's notable. But the other thing is the fact that this was like clearly written. And spoilers, I guess, if you're going to go ahead and watch the additional episodes of the franchise, this one is written with the sequel in mind, as opposed to what became a huge problem in the 2000s and 2010s of trying to shoehorn in the sequel after the initial one became commercially successful. This one was written as a standalone, but that it could have a follow-up, that they had answers to almost everything. And you'll find, if you watch episode two and episode three, that they frequently reference back to this one as one holistic world, which I actually do really appreciate as a script-writing like element. I, I like that a lot. And number two, which was the one that I think they clearly just wrote in tandem with this one, directly plays off of all of the things that happen here. Fair enough. Uh, world building and immersion is the second category. I'm giving it a four for world building and immersion. I don't think they build a particularly robust world here. Mark, like you said, the concept of the further is interesting, but they don't execute upon it well. I also don't think this movie is, I mean, for the first act of it, it is, very immersive, and then it is very, very not immersive, and for the whole climax of the movie that happens in the further, I'm assuming I'm a superhero, I can do whatever the fuck I want in there, and Patrick Wilson's an <laughs> I'm idiot for not punching ghosts. Ghost. Yeah, exactly, so that's actually takes me out of the movie, so it's a four for me, it's really, really high in the first third, and not high in the second two acts. Jake? Uh, again, I, we're pretty much in lockstep here. I agree with everything you're saying. I also gave it a higher score, just like the last category. I gave it a five, but it really is for the same reasons. Like, I think that this is this is a totally watchable movie. Like, it's about an hour forty, I think. Runtime feels about right. I it does not like outstay its welcome by any means, but it gets weaker as it goes, and that's a problem. Yeah, I agree, Mark. I ended up going the highest. I gave this a six and a half, which is the same thing I gave story. I think this is overall a pretty immersive movie. So here's the thing here. If you take a step back and you just look at this as a as one of the horror movies we've reviewed of our, I don't know what we're fucking at, 100 and, help me out here, 180 something, 90 something? 78. Whatever. Plus all the other ones that I've watched for the side projects and you guys have watched for the side project. Like this is definitively above average as far as immersion goes. This is an incredibly watchable and interesting movie. There are just things, particularly visually effects related, that take me back out of it and and haven't aged particularly well. 
we they already haven't aged well. It's gonna be really funny to go back and watch these movies again in twenty forty five, and, and be like, like, "Oh my damn, god, damn, that looks amazing." <laughs> <laughs> that aside, though, this is significantly better than average as far as just what we've watched overall. So I'm giving it a six and a half. All right, let's take things into Scare Factor. I'm giving it a seven for Scare Factor. This movie is a film school lesson in how to do jump scares effectively. And while it doesn't do a lot else, which is something I often credit movies for, like different varieties of scares, this is like this is what jump scares should and need to be. This is this is it. You need to do them. They're effective. They're fan fucking tastic. And I'm crediting it for kind of transitioning from the era of jump scares where you stop the music into the more meta era of jump scares where then you even fuck with that system and scare people on top of that, as evidenced by the like full light jump scare in the kitchen. Jake. I gave it a six. Mostly lockstep. This feels to me like kind of this is like the typification of the movie. You're going to shell out some money and go and eat some popcorn and watch it in the theater that I think that we're just over the last couple of years starting to get away from. Like you go, you get entertained, you get hit with some jump scares, throw your popcorn in the air, go ah, and then you walk out and it's fine. That's what this was. And that's not a bad thing by any means, but that, like you said, Jack, is kind of what it was built on. That's what it had going for it. And really, the only other thing I could say is, again, we've mentioned it. Concept of the further, pretty damn good. Execution, holy fuck, no good. (laughs) Fair enough, Mark. Uh, I gave it a seven. I'm in lockstep with Jack on this one. This movie is a confluence of people who are exceptionally good at executing on well-earned jump scares to the point where, like I said earlier, I think this is one of the inflection points of jump scares as a whole and informed the next decade of horror movies. I don't think there's much here of substance and the part that they deliver that is sort of the unique and like sustaining horror doesn't stand up particularly well. But overall, like the delivery of the scary shit in this movie is effective, so seven. Fair enough, let's take us into effects or judicious lack thereof. It's going to be a six for me. This movie delivers on some effects. I think the makeup on the lipstick demon is very good. I think the smoke effects are very bad. Generally, the further is fine. This movie is just is mostly so just fine with something interesting a little bit. Uh, so it's a six. Jake? He's kind of Darth Maul with a hairdo, isn't he? Oh, I mean, that's Nightmare Junkhead only refers to him as Darth Maul. I mean, he's pretty much Darth Maul. So, like, I agree. I mean, he looks cool. Like, whatever. It's fine. That's totally fine. There, there's, there's competence here in terms of that, and I think that it sounds pretty good on the whole. Uh, but there, as we mentioned, is some janky-ass CG as well. Overall, it's hard for me to go much above average. I'm going to give it a six, and that feels a little uh, it's interesting it feels both generous to me and like i'm being harsh but i I do understand what you're saying it's stupid but i get it yeah yeah mark i gave it an average score of five and a half i i don't have much to add here this is one of those ones that's going to get worse and worse and worse the further we get from it the stem i it's sort of an issue because like 80 percent of the stuff that it does actually looks fine it's practical effects maybe there's some extra smoke machine, but at least it's actual real effects. But then like the points where the main 
antagonist of the movie is climbing on walls and just looks fucking bad. That is only going to get worse over time. So when we're showing this to people in 10 years saying like, hey, look at this horror classic, they're going to look at scenes like that and be like, eh, average. Especially when there's scenes like Hereditary's climbing on walls scene. Sure. Well, I mean, but that also just came out last year. So give that another 10 and then we'll talk about it. (laughs) It's going to look bad. I don't think so. I don't think so. And overall, and overall... So it's, this is a hard overall category. What are you I giving I think I'm it? giving it a seven. You think? It's a tilt up. I do think. It's a tilt okay. up for me. This movie is I love better than the, some of its life. parts. I really do enjoy this movie. I think it's really good. I think the scares are fan-fucking-tastic. And, uh, man, I'm, just, I'm giving it a seven. It's above that. It's a good movie. It's one of the like modern classics. And I, I don't know what else to say beyond that. Jake? Modern classic is an interesting one because I agree with you, but I also feel like I don't. I I just I don't know why it is really. I my tilt goes down. I think I I, I don't know mathematically. It's a six and a half is what I'm going to give it, and I think that it's a really good example of what we've talked about. Where to me this is just a good like if it's 2010, you want to go to the theater. This is a fucking banger. Super. I like that you and I gave essentially the same scores all around, and I thought a seven was a significant tilt up, and you think a six point five is a tilt down. Weird. I, this movie <laughs> feels weird. It feels both like I'm being too generous and too harsh with almost everything. It's kind of an odd one, uh, but it is. Yeah, I think it's a six and a half. It's it's a theater style banger, but you can only go so deep when it comes to theater style bangers, and that's kind of what this is. Fair enough, Mark. I somehow ended up as the lowest on the totem pole here. I gave it a six. This that has is, to be a tilt down. This is unequivocally a movie that you should see. Like this is one of the classics of the 2010s. This is the one <laughs> that set the tone for the next decade. But also going back and watching it, there's so many things that were improved upon over the next ten years, I, and what I assume will continue to be improved on in the next fifty years or whatever. Like this is this is one of those formative pieces, but it has its issues. I like it. Put it on in the background. Watch it. Watch it once by yourself. But like after that, I don't think there's that much extra sh- shit to be gleaned from it. So in the future, six. we're gonna find even better Tiny Tim songs to use in horror movies. Yeah, and then and then Steven Spielberg will go back in. He'll he'll digitally reinsert a different Tiny Tim song. Do you, love? Do it. you mean to say George Lucas? Yes. Okay. I did mean to say that. Thank <laughs> Fair you. Enough. Fair enough. They're almost the interchangeable person. in my brain. Um, let's go to thumbs up, thumbs down. This is a very easy thumbs up for me. You gotta see this one. Like like we said, this is a modern classic. This is this is one that like from this era you have to see. This is one it's an all timer. I mean, even if it's not the best movie in the world, it's one you gotta see. Jake. I'll give it a thumbs down. Why not? Uh tell me why. Yeah, uh, you have to provide the analysis <laughs> if you give it a thumbs down. Uh, no, I I really I, you know fuck it. I'm gonna give it a thumbs down. There's no there's no reason why I would recommend what? this movie above like I'm go and see Poltergeist. That movie came out vastly before this, and it delivers on basically the same things that this has going for it. Or honestly, go and like see the a different House James Wan movie. Yeah, go and see the a Conjuring. different Warren Pelly movie. Go and see a different Lay Lay Wanell movie. Look, I'm I'm yeah, actually like just silence. joking. I think that this has enough going for it in its own little parcel that is in the insidious package that warrants seeing it, but I had to go through that brain exercise after I made the joke. It's still a thumbs up. Yeah, Mark. I appreciate that I'm literally the only one who's referenced Dead Silence in this whole episode. 
that's it. Fuck, it's a thumb. We don't need fuck to- that fucking movie. <laughs> it's a thumbs up for me. Obviously, this is, like I said, this is one of the formative things that I don't know how well it will age, but it is a fundamentally incredible haunted house movie that also happens to feature a seance and possession. It'll resonate for a <laughs> while. It's not going to be, th- it's not going to be the best movie of the era, but it's going to be one of those. It, it, it'll have some staying power. So sure. Yeah. Thumbs up. Fair Why enough. Not? Let's Why get not? the fuck out of here. <laughs> yep. This has been episode 179 of the A to Z Horrorcast. To check out everything we have going on, head on over to A to Z Horror.com or come hang out with us on any of our social media channels. Those are Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and those links are right down there in the description below. Along with, as Jack mentioned at the top of the episode, somewhere you could go put your money right now to help those that are actually in need because of the situation that is the world right now. Don't be throwing that at our Patreon, but just want to mention once again that if you're here hanging out with us still, first of all, thank you. Second of all, when all this blows over, Patreon will still be there for you. No worries there. The music that you're listening to now and you have been for some time is coming at you from Super Bear. Their link's going to be down there in the description below as well if you want to go check out all the music that they are making. And next week, we are getting right back into Patreon member movie selections with one coming at us from Larry, I think. Is this a Larry pick? This is a Larry talking about Orgy of course the it's a Larry pick. I'm talking about Orgy of the Dead. Let's mix hey. up the type of movie. Let's mix up the type of timeline. Let's just watch a <laughs> weird little thing from Larry. El- at least it's ostensibly a horror movie. Uh, yes. Well, we're going to find out in one week's time. <laughs> and until then, get your buddies, grab some beers, and go watch some horror movies. Have a great week, everybody. And two, like, I forgot what I was going to say. God damn it. <laughs> 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 <laughs>